it reverently for a moment, as though it was a great work of art, which, to Bernheim, it probably was. Holiday ignored the dessert and tried the coffee, as with everything else at Malakoff's. It was excellent. At least, with the ban on smoking in Paris restaurants, he didn't have to endure Bernheim's boyals. So, said the nautical expert, what brings you to Paris and my humble little museum? He took another bite of the creme caramel and briefly closed his eyes to savor the flavor. Have you ever heard of a place called La Couvertoirade? Holiday asked. Bernheim nodded. A fortified town in Dordogne, built by the Templars, I believe. That's right, Holiday said and nodded. A while back, an archaeologist, a monk named Brother Charles-Etienne Boissier, discovered a cache of documents from there relating to the Templar expedition to Egypt. Holiday paused, trying to remember it all. The texts were written by a Cistercian monk named Roland de Ainu. Ainu was secretary to Guillaume de Sonac, the Grand Master who led the Templars at the siege of Damietta in 1249. Of course, the Seventh Crusade, said Bernheim. They couldn't get up river because of the Nile flooding, so they sat around for six months and had their way with the Egyptian women. They also played at being tourists, added Holiday. Guillaume de Sonac's personal ship as Grand Master was a caravel called the Sanctus Johannes, chartered out of Genoa from a shipowner named Peter Rubius. De Sonac, provided his own captain, a fellow Frenchman named Jean de Saint-Clair. A common enough name in France, I'm afraid, said Bernheim, rather like John Smith in America. He smiled, a name used to sign hotel registers with. Well, while this particular Saint-Clair was in Damietta, he traveled a little way to Rosetta, where the famous stone was found a few hundred years later by Napoleon's archaeologists. And stolen by the British, I might add snorted Bernheim. Take it up with the Queen, said Holliday. Anyway, while St. Clair was on his little visit to Rosetta, along with Dissonac's secretary, they stumbled on some old Coptic documents in a monastery there. The documents described something they referred to as an organum sanctum, an instrument of God, translated Bernheim. It generally refers to a person. Moses was an instrument of God, for instance. Not this time, said Holliday. He opened a floppy, old-fashioned briefcase on his lap and took out two ten-inch-long strips of wood. One of the strips was slightly thicker than the other and had a square hole halfway down its length. The narrower of the two pieces was clearly meant to fit into the hole, forming a cross. Both strips were notched at regular intervals. A Jacob's staff. Bernheim said and nodded, a sixteenth-century navigational instrument. Except the documents were discovered by Saint-Clair and de Sonac's secretary two hundred years before that, said Holliday. Stranger still, the documents described the device from which that model was made as being even older, from the time of the pharaohs, in fact. Ridiculous, scoffed Bernheim. I found the original of the device you hold in your hand, in the mummified hand of the pharaoh Joser's vizier.
the mummy was entombed at least 2,500 years before the birth of Christ, and 4,000 years before Jean de Saint-Clair was in Rosetta. The original is now in the safekeeping of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. The copy you're holding is an exact duplicate made by their model department. There can be no mistake about the age. Spectroscopic analysis is accurate within a margin of error less than 10% for African juniper. There's no doubt about it, Maurice. The instrument is 4,500 years old. Mailed, breathed the man, his creme caramel forgotten. You know what this does to the basic paradigm of modern nautical history? Destroys it, answered Holliday flatly. This device would be as much a secret weapon as an atomic bomb, said Bernheim. A seafaring nation that had it would have an incredible advantage over a nation.